Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Box to Box. I'm Alex Perry, along with Jeff Azahauser, Akshay Wadwani, and Jesse Levine. Uh, a lot to get to. We've got AFCON, uh, Senegal, beating Egypt in a cup final. A uh, cup final between two of the Liverpool stars, Salah and Sadio Mane. We have FA Cup action to get to. Liverpool progressing, Tottenham progressing, the big boys progressing, Middlesbrough among them. Uh, and then we might touch upon, depending on how much time we have, some La Liga or Serie A. But I think the... How, well, what are we starting with today, boys? What, why, don't we, why don't we start with the FA Cup? And I'll, I'll kind of throw, throw it out. And um, Akshay, why don't you hop in here first? I think one of the coolest parts about this FA Cup weekend that we don't see very often is some of the big clubs getting challenged by, no disrespect to Kidminster and some others, but uh, pretty no-name clubs that at least aren't getting televised. And... Do we think that, the, you know, is this a bigger win for the small clubs that played well, or is this more of a scare for teams like West Ham and Chelsea that struggled well, to get money? Uh, I think, as usual, with the FA Cup, it's a little bit of both. Um, this is pretty, I'd say this is pretty typical of what you see with uh, the English domestic cups, uh, that being this one and the EFL, is you, you do see these shock performances by these smaller teams, basically because... The FA Cup and the EFL Cup are their chances to prove themselves on the larger nationally televised stage, right? For a lot of these clubs, uh, for example, Kidmister, again, no disrespect to them, um, but that's probably the only nationally televised game that they're getting all season long, right? So they're going to show out and they're going to play hard and they're going to play over the top. And you see that from a lot of these smaller teams. Uh, unfortunately for Kidmister, it didn't work out in their favor as West Ham comes back to win, but you see Leicester getting absolutely shell-shocked by Nottingham Forest. I think that's a huge result not only for Nottingham Forest and a big statement win for them, um, but also uh, another, yet another sign of Leicester's continuous decline and their ongoing issues with their defense. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a little bit of both, and it's, it's what you see uh, from the FA Cup year after year, and it's, I think, what makes it a very entertaining tournament. I often forget that. You know, I'm someone who doesn't tune into the FA Cup as much as I probably should because it does give you a lot of those really entertaining fixtures where you look at them and you say, uh, this is probably going to be a pretty one-sided result, but you don't always know because the FA Cup really brings out the best in these smaller uh, championship uh, League One, League Two teams. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And um, kind of touched upon, you know, lineups um, and teams playing hard. I mean, Alex, Chelsea hasn't been at their best, I think it's fair to say, or at least in form for the last month or so. And they put out a very strong lineup with Azpilicueta, Mount, Jorginho, Ziyech, Lukaku, Hudson Adoy, like, they barely snuck by. Is it time to start getting a little bit concerned for Chelsea in terms of, is the race for them even competing for a top two spot over? I mean, I think, yeah, they're, they're, well, it depends. I mean, Liverpool still have a couple games in hand, um, with, which they have to win. But it's not looking good for Chelsea. I mean, if Liverpool do win those games, we're talking about a seven-point gap. Uh, so it, I could definitely see Chelsea turning to their attention towards tournaments that they still have a shot of winning. Champions League, the FA Cup. There's obviously the Carabao Cup final uh, at the end of the month. But, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say Chelsea's title race is over, and I, I don't really see them prioritizing trying to finish second because it doesn't make a difference whether they finish second, third, or fourth. At the end of the day, it's not going to do them any better at where, wherever they finish, so... Now, now, if they don't win the uh, Champions League, is it fair to say that this is a disappointing season for Chelsea? Absolutely. Keep in mind that they were, you know, they brought in Lukaku uh, over just oh, just over a hundred million dollars. 
Champions League winner, and what I thought were, as many people thought, were potentially the favorites to um, win EPL this season. Yeah, I mean, I thought they were certainly the favorites, um, just considering how strongly they finished the second, or at least how strong they were in the second half of the season under Thomas Tuchel. Uh, it looked like, you know, the only real missing piece uh, was was that forward who's going to get you 20 to 30 goals a season. You know, like you said, they splashed 100 million on Lukaku. He comes back in. Uh, hasn't really been spectacular. So, yeah, it's absolutely been a disappointment. We really thought that they would build upon their Champions League success, and they've just gone backwards despite... Apparently, I mean, it looked as if they added quality to the squad, but, and I guess you could say they have on paper, but on the pitch, the performances have definitely declined. Uh, there's no question about that, and it would be pretty disappointing if they end the season without Silverware. Yeah, I mean, and Jeff, you know, why don't you hop in? I think one of the interesting parts about Chelsea's lineup as well is they consistently have gone with the back three for the last, almost the entire reign under Tuchel, and it seems like they've started to more of adapt a 4-3-3, which seems surprising because they've had so much success under a kind of a 3-4-1-2 form and if you think it's the formation what do you think is kind of off with Chelsea over the last few months could be the formation it could be the serious injuries to James and Chilwell uh that messed with their ability to play the back five the way they want to with those guys who offer so much down the wings when you have to play like Hudson Adoy and Pulisic uh at times on you know in your five at the back it, it makes you want to go to a four at the back where suddenly Aspilicueta fits in on one wing and Alonso fits in on another wing and 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 those two as fullbacks function far better like you don't want Aspilicueta as your as a wing back you don't really want to pull one of your attacking players back where they have so many more defensive duties and they're just not built to play that position so I think the I think it's more by necessity that they've switched back and we'll see as they get healthy uh in the next couple of months whether they go back to the the five at the back that you know Tuchel really wants to play and would prefer to play and as those guys kind of get back from injury get back into form if Chelsea start to hit their stride again. And I think also yeah. something we, yeah. we have to consider and you know you touched upon it Jeff is that the the, the injuries to Reese James and Ben Cho have been very costly. But before we get too critical of Chelsea, no one can compete with the depth that Man City has, right? I mean, Man City have a second 11 that, that can win the league. So, yes, Chelsea are out of it now, but they've had injuries to key players. And they, uh, unlike, uh, unlike Man City, they just they don't have the squad to cope with it. And I don't really think that's a knock on Chelsea. I just think it's more of... Yeah, I think it's just more indicative of, you know, how much money City have, and that, the fact that they can just basically now buy their way to four of the last five league titles. I mean, I'm still holding out a bit of hope for Liverpool, um, but even then, you know, we're looking at a six-point gap, so. Murray, I want to push back a little bit on that because I think that one of the one of the things that, like, I don't think Pep has a squad that really gets incredibly, incredibly deep. I think the, the value they have is that the depth they do have is all Premier League winning worthy as, like, a starting player, and that they slot in so well. There's so much positional flexibility in the style of player. Once Pep has you for a couple years, um, he has plenty of guys who have gone from playing fullback to, you know, uh, defensive midfielder. Like, they, they have that kind of flexibility where if they lose two fullbacks, I'm not worried about whoever they put in that position because they're going to slot into Pep's system and, and they know how to be comfortable. Chelsea's problem is that they lost two players at a position where the rest of the depth isn't there. Like, if Chelsea lose two attackers up front, you know, regardless of position, I feel fine. Like they're going to, they're going to be able to put it together, right? They'll, they'll figure out a false nine. It'll be Havertz or, or Pulisic and 
or Werner or whatever they'll do, they can kind of mix it up up front, but they can't really mix it up in their wingback spots. And that's what we're learning. And the incredible benefit of, of Man City's defense is that everyone can play at least two positions. And some of the cover for guys is just moving people around rather than like having a full second 11. Because I think you like we forget that that team, it's incredibly deep. But it's like 18 people incredibly deep. And then there's this big gulf to the kids, basically, that they just refuse to play. Um, and and the the incredible thing that Pep done is really that how how deep the team is in moving around and how long it gets before the starting 11 suffers when you look at the depth. And I think one of the things that's interesting, and Jeff, you brought up a good point about their fullbacks, is... You look at Reese James and you look at Chilwell and then you look at the replacements and they're two completely different players, both of them. On the right side, you have Azpilicueta kind of hopping in, who is a starter, but more they've had more success with him at, on the right side of the ba that back three with um, Thiago Silva and Rudiger on the left side, um, with Reese James kind of play, playing as that wing back. And the other side, you have Alonso um, hopping in for Chilwell, and I think Alonso probably is a slightly more comparable player to Chilwell in terms of their skill level in terms of sorry in terms of their strengths but I mean Chilwell's speed down that side Alonso's I mean, certainly not blessed with speed has a great left foot shot but when you take those guys out that are consistently with pace down the side and you replace them with two guys that are certainly not blessed with speed it completely changes up the game and I think Jeff hits the nail on the head there that you you look at someone like City's team and you know, Cancelo goes from right back to left back. Um, Bernardo Silva goes from the, you know, center mid to the cam to the right side. Um, Foden goes from, you know, center mid to uh, one of the front three to the false nine. You know, Torres could play all of the three. Grealish has played in the middle. Like, they all could kind of just rotate in terms of their positioning. And it's, um, I think it's interesting that, you know, I, it feels like Man City buys, like, all these different players, but it always seems consistently like they're buying players that could play multiple positions as well. And I, I think mean, it's part that, of that does help. I definitely yeah. know. And I do want I mean, to do the conversation. Alex, sorry, finish, finish up. Then I, yeah, I, mean, I was going to say stuff. like, you know, when, but at the same time, city's also been more effective, right. And who they bought, like if you're going to play a three, five, two, the wing backs are like two of the most crucial players on the, probably on the pitch, right. Just in terms of the running they do and their commitments at both ends, uh, both ends of the field. So I think, yeah, I think it's partially that City have players who can play in, um, in in multiple positions who are flexible like that. But I also think it's partially the fact that just, you know, Chelsea had injuries in areas where it's, you're not really going to find too many players who can really fit a role uh, like what Ben Chilwell has uh, that, that well. So it's, it's a bit of both, in my opinion. It's true, and I kind of want to steer over to the other game that kind of raised some eyebrows. Also, another team just squeaking by is West Ham, scoring both goals in stoppage time, one at regular stoppage time and the other at 90th, with Declan Rice coming on as a sub, and then Jared Bowen scoring in the 120th minute to send them through. Um, should West Ham be concerned? I mean, look, they dominated the game, but can we still have chances? I mean, they, it wasn't like they... They had 14 shots, four on goal. Felt like they definitely had a few, you know, times where they were really questioning, you know, the uh, West Ham defense. Is this a concern for West Ham again? Or, you know, no no Declan Rice starting, no Suchet uh, starting, no concern? No, I don't, I don't think it's a cause for concern for West Ham. Uh, again, going back to the point I had earlier, you know, it, it's a pretty typical FA Cup fixture where you see that the 
the unfavored team, the team that's the massive underdog, plays way above their pay grade because they're in the FA Cup and they're there to prove a point and to establish themselves on a national stage. Uh, and on the reverse side of that, what I didn't talk about as much is, you know, you will see that bigger teams will sometimes take that stage for granted because the FA Cup and the AFL Cup are not what they, what they once were for Premier League teams. They're, you know, what once were very honorable and era to, you know, competitions with a lot of heritage, but they're not taken as seriously by the big clubs anymore. That's just a fact. Uh, and for West Ham, uh, I think a, the majority of their squad is also in a position that they've never been in before as players where their mentalities are being divided between, you know, going all out for a top a European place finish in the Premier League while also focusing on possible Europa League success. I don't I'm, I haven't been following uh, what West Ham's current status in the Europa League is, um, but I believe they're still in the competition and vying for it. So you have you know, you're seeing a lot of these West Ham players who haven't really been, I think, in that position before where they're dividing, you know, their focus between going all out in two separate, very high level, very high profile competitions. And so I don't think it's surprising that you might see a mental gap uh, when it comes to some of these, you know, lower priority domestic leagues. I don't think the FA Cup is as big a priority for West Ham. I see, I think they've, they've pretty clearly shown that they're going all out to try and finish as high as possible in the Prem uh, and also trying to get as much European success as they can, uh, because those are the, the tournaments that pay the big bucks and those are the tournaments that are going to get them the most public exposure. So I don't think it's a cause for worry for West Ham. I think, you know, just because they happen to score those goals late doesn't mean that, you know, it's worrying. Uh, and, you know, hopefully those players will focus up and realize that, you know, if they want to go far in the FA Cup as well, then they can't take any of these fixtures for granted, regardless of who well, they're well, facing. I, mean, I think, Akshay, you're partially correct. I don't think that this fixture is really a cause for a worry for West Ham, but I do think that their recent Premier League form is a bit of a worry. Yeah. Um, this was a side that really looked like they could seriously challenge for that top four spot. Look, they're what? They're a point behind United right now. They're in fifth, now they're in fourth. But United have played a game more. Arsenal and Spurs both have multiple games in hand over West Ham. Um, so should they win those? And it's obviously you know a big if, particularly in the case of Arsenal, in my opinion. But should they win those? We can see a pretty sizable gap emerge between West Ham and then the, and the likes of uh, United, Arsenal, and and Tottenham. And I think sooner rather than later, they could be out of that top four race. Um, but I, I, I am with Akshay in that, you know, at the same time, I, I don't think that we should really look to a match against Kidderminster uh, as the, the primary indication of, of where they stand. I just think it has to be the bigger picture that that center form has not been spectacular over the past uh, couple of weeks. I mean, to respond to that, I think it's a good point that you bring up, uh, you know, their form has been diminishing in the Premier League. But again, I would not say that that's a reason to be concerned about them as a club. Because, uh, like I said, this is all growing pains for West Ham. You know, it, it, given their success in recent years under David Moyes, I think they're now having to reconcile themselves with uh, whether they want their identity to continue to be a strong domestic club that performs well and focuses on success in domestic competition, the Premier League, the FA Cup, the EFL Cup, or do they want to shift their identity to now accepting that they have the potential to succeed on a global stage? They have the potential for success in the Europa League to possibly push for the Champions League this year. That is an identity that West Ham now has to wrestle with, and they have to, you know, they can't be both. They cannot, you know, they, they don't have the resources or the wealth of squad or, you know, the club wealth to be both a domestic threat and an international threat like a, a Manchester City, right? So West Ham has to decide now, and I think they're reaching a critical point this season especially, uh, as to whether they want to continue to be a domestically focused club, a very good one at that, or do they want to be a European upstart? And I think the, the you know, Dip in their in their Premier League form is just is just a, a part of an effect of that. Is there still oh, players? Okay. And 
are still struggling to understand. They were it, they were on. in the top four, and finished atop of their group in Europa League pretty comfortably. Like they at, when the Europa League ended, they finished atop of their group so comfortably they could play the youngsters in the last game. They were undefeated in their first five and have secured a spot in the round of 16 because, as we all know, the Europa League loves to change format. The third-place Champions League teams and the second-place Europa League teams are playing in the round of 32-24, I think. I think it's the round of 24. And then the round of 16 will be the winners of that, uh, those rounds of playoff games against the winners of the Europa League groups. Um, and so West Ham kind of fought their way into having something of a bye and we're still able to be at the very top of the Premier League. And one game uh, in an FA Cup is not committing to an FA Cup run. And it's it's one game in an FA Cup where um, they made a lot of uh, they made a lot of concessions. Declan Rice didn't play the entire first half. Suchek didn't play the entire first half. Cresswell, um, Craig Dawson. Uh, I don't think um, Antonio featured at all. Um, granted, Jared Bowen did play 120 minutes. But I wonder as well that like, like, I don't think that I don't think that it was, you know, Europa League doesn't appear for them on the calendar until March again. I don't think this decision was impacted in any way, shape or form by a fixture over a month from now. Yeah, I'm saying over the in, in general over the entire season, right, because I was addressing their recent dip in Premier League form as well. But At, they haven't played a game in Europe in almost three months. Right, but it's it's about the the course of the season as a whole, right? West Ham is now they overall for throughout the entire season, they have to plan for these types of events now that they have more matches coming up on their calendar. Now that there's more uh, events, there's more fixtures and tournaments for them to focus on overall throughout the entire season, not just right now. That weighs in, and that factors into how form dips and increases throughout a season. Because it, I, it affects the mentalities of the players, regardless of when the fixtures are next going to be up. It, it, they play, these players know that their performance now affects whether they get p picked for the Europa League fixtures later on. Right? It doesn't matter that they're in a month in that next Europa it, League fixture. That matters to these I don't, players. I don't think a single player's effort or performance against Kidderminster in an FA Cup is affecting whether or not they're chosen for... Uh, a Europa League two-legged round of 16 tie. And if it is, Moyes should be sacked on the spot. I, a slightly downward spiral and with West Ham's form just in general. I think actually that you start, that the kind of downward spirals actually started when they played Arsenal at the Emirates where they got absolutely smacked. Um, I think, Alex, we, we were talking about that game um, off air. Well, right after it happened and thought it was Arsenal's best game, probably West Ham's worst game of the year. And right after that, they lost again to Tottenham. They lost again to Southampton, lost to Leeds, um, and just, I mean, losing to Man U is fine. Um, so, but I think it's just a sl slow downward spiral. We talked about making the most of opportunity at FA Cup, so I kind of want to change the tide a little bit and hop over to Nordham Forest who absolutely destroyed Leicester. And before we get into the actual game, uh, if I'm pronouncing this wrong, please, I apologize. Uh, Dejed Sp uh, Spence, their right back, is absolutely class. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if who wants to cut. You know, Jeff, why don't you start us off? Again, Leicester just complete offseason. Nordham Forest making the most of the opportunity. How do you view this game? I mean, this game wasn't even close. 
No, it wasn't. Um, and and I think there's a couple things going on. The first thing is it's you know most domestic players. I don't think West Ham had a whole lot of players who play in Afcon or in like South or North America where they have to qualify for the World Cup right now. Which means that most of their players got an international break, which was two weeks of partying. You know, Rashford and Lingard hanging out in in the Middle East reminds me that uh, most of these guys took a break for a couple of weeks after a long holiday period. And so West Ham's kind of coming back, knocking the rust off their boots. It's an FA Cup game that doesn't matter. I, I seriously think that, yes, they have a downward spiral trajectory in the Premier League, but it's completely separated from a, a one-off FA Cup game. The more interesting thing, I think you're right, is some of the some of the Nottingham Forest players who looked absolutely class. And the, the one I want to highlight is James Garner, who was phenomenal and absolutely handled that midfield uh, and just just one of those players that you're really excited to see over the next couple of years progress and, and work their way uh, into into the first team of a of a very good Premier League team. Yeah, I don't think Leicester put out a crap lineup either. I mean, some of their guys, no. like, I mean, Michael didn't play. Um, obviously, they've been missing Vardy, but... It was I mean, almost, they, no, but the, the midfield so was, 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 was a very strong line. Like, Madison and Didi and Tielemans. That like Barnes and Ianacho up top. Like like for Hopefully for a team well. like that, for, for, James Justin's another big one. Yeah, it was uh, Justin and Thomas are are there like this is their starting team outside of Ward and maybe Lookman. Um, the the rest of this is pretty much the starters. And their midfield of guys who I think have all been rumored to be sold for between 50 and 100 million pounds at some point in their career uh, in Madison and Didi and Tillman's got absolutely handled by a kid in his early 20s. That like that's embarrassing for Lester. And it's, it's quite shocking. When you talk about like the need to balance, you know, your European fixtures with domestic cup fixtures. I think that, you know, for, for West Ham, that's one thing. But for Lester... They're now out of they're, they're out of the Europa League. They're not going to get a Champions League spot. And I think the, part of the only reason that people look upon last season as, as a success for them, uh, despite missing on the top four, is because they won the FA Cup. Um, but there's going to be no Champions League, obviously, out of the Europa League. They have nothing to compete for. This was the last game they had to to really save their season. It was a game they, I mean, they shouldn't have really needed to step up. It should have been comfortable for them. Instead, it was comfortable for Nottingham Forest. So it, it just caps off what's been a very, very disappointing year for, for Brendan Rodgers' side. Yeah, and I think, uh, once again, this exposed that Leicester really needs to revamp their defense. Uh, the current lineup is not working. Ricardo Pereira has regressed massively. So Yonchu and Vestergaard are by far the worst center-back pairing in the Premier League. I feel comfortable saying that, even with Leicester's position. Um, oh. I think we need to make some major signings in the, in the next transfer window uh, in terms of center-backs and full-back signings. Actually, don't disrespect some truly proper, terrible center back pairings like Maguire and whoever you put next to him. Um, maybe Eric Bai. Uh, Perfect. But so I think back to Leicester's summer, and I don't know how important um, James Madison is to this team, but they did have a opportunity to kind of go back and build up their entire team by selling James Madison for close to seventy million. Um, they passed up on it, and. They are completely getting exposed for not having enough depth, not having enough defense, um, and being an older side. I think Tiedemans is decent, but he is very inconsistent. Uh, Barnes has flashes of brilliance. Madison's great. Ianacho, yeah. Ianacho's not good enough to be a striker in the Prem. That's not true. I, I you know, know. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, <laughs> for top seven yeah, teams, not harsh. 
Yeah, for for a team competing for a, for a spot in Europe, he's not good enough to be the number one striker. That's exactly. a fair that's a fair complaint. He's exactly. more than good enough to be the striker for a a media like like Everton wouldn't exactly like hurt if he was there instead of DCL. I mean, this is someone who scored 12 goals last season in the Premier League alone. So I don't think Enoch is, you know, I think... Yo, are we counting last season stats? Sorry? Are we counting last season stats? I'm going off of last season stats, yeah. I mean, this season hasn't been quite as great for him. Two goals in 14 games. So maybe I shouldn't have left that out. Um, (laughs) But I think, Jesse, you brought up a good point about their decision not to sell him James Madison. But what I would say to that is that, you know, while we have seen Lester profit off of players like Mares and Harry Maguire and use that money really well to to rebuild and add quality to multiple areas of the squad, I think don't the, remind me. But what I would imagine the thinking behind Lester's decision to hold on to Madison is that they thought they probably had a legitimate chance of really challenging for the top four. They were no longer in a place where they needed to, or I don't think anyone really thought they were in a place where they needed to like seriously rebuild their squad and add quality in several areas. Um, you're obviously wrong. That that clearly, you know, that is the case. Uh, like you mentioned, their fence is, is poor. Vardy, the goals are, are drying up, and he he is getting older. Iannaccio hasn't necessarily been the answer for them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're, they're definitely going to need to invest. But I, I think with a bit of investment, I I don't know if I want to say I trust Brendan Rodgers to turn them around and really improve them because I, I know we've had this conversation because, but my Brendan Rogers doesn't turn around, baby. Brendan oh, Rogers wow. looks straightforward at all times. There's no turning around. <laughs> it's true. The confidence <laughs> of Brendan Rogers is starting to start to decrease a bit with, uh, with every passing week. But yeah, I mean, I, I think this summer they're, they're going to have to reshape their squad. Uh, there's, yeah. there's no question about that. Very quick. Cause I do want to move on to the last game that I want to cover. And then before we go into the, it's a quick yes or no. If, if Leicester does not challenge for a Europa League spot next season, is Brandon Rodgers out? He should be. He should already be out. Well, Jeff? he should not already be out. Yeah, I think if, if midseason next year they, they look like they're comfortably sitting in the middle of the table and not really pushing for anything, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I do think he's a quality oh. manager, but... I mean, it's clearly been shown, but they they, they run He's a real risk of, of two different for several years. Yeah, they they run a risk of two different competing problems, which is that one, uh, who are they going to upgrade to? Right, like Brendan Rodgers is still a quality. Like if they if Leicester fall back into what is historically an incredible place for them, which would be like even just mid table prem. Like that's that's a delight for Leicester. That is a better spot than Leicester has kind of. Has uh, as the power of their club and their history, and it like if they sit right there, that's still a, a fantastic place to be in the entire pyramid of England, and uh you know so so Brendan Rodgers getting them there, that's not necessarily a disappointment as long as they're not threatened with relegation. But on the other hand, you get too kind of stable and complacent, and players cannot turn on a manager but just stop caring about it. Like there's very few managers who you consistently expect can just sustain the same rigors constantly and have the same buy-in from the players constantly. You almost need a kind of changing of the guard every so often. And the managers that you don't need to change of the guard are generational managers. Yeah, I want to you know, I want to kind of switch gears. Our last game that we were going to discuss before we hop into other leagues, which you rarely talk about, is Man U 
versus Middlesbrough. And Jeff, why don't you just take it away? Okay, I'm gonna gonna start us with um, something that I have thought about for a while and have to remember about Manchester United. Uh, going all the way back to the days of Jose, which is that I have said publicly and often that I will complain far more about a team that is not fun to watch and loses, or even not fun to watch and wins, sometimes, not often enough, but sometimes, way more than a team that loses but produces football that's fun to watch. And no, the goals didn't come, uh, and there were some pretty bad misses, but 99 times out of 100 with the opportunities United got on Friday evening, they win that game. They they played fantastically. They were creating fantastic opportunities. And while they didn't finish all of them or any of them, really, that's something that will come pretty. Uh, and I'm I'm less worried about that. Just having the opportunities is a big deal. Um, and, and I'll circle back later at the end of this and, and go into a little bit of the discussion of the handball and the handball rule, because I think it's important to clarify for everyone because the handball rule is constantly changing. I'm going to give you a little excerpt out from uh, IFAB and, and let everyone know what's going on. But first, I'll let everyone else get their thoughts on this game. Yeah, I'm going to hop in here real quick. I, I think that you're absolutely right, Jeff. And if you look at some of the misses, I mean, Bruno Fernandez, I mean, point blank miss happens ronaldo a couple of them a couple of them ronaldo missing from the spot happens um you know they they had they had 30 shots and if you look at i i don't think they played bad they didn't play bad at all um you just sometimes you miss your chances and the other team gets a gets uh you know gets the benefit of doubt and um that happened here but like if you look at changes what are you gonna do bench bruno bench ronaldo no like not not with the opportunities they're and um, you know, Pogba finally being back and being healthy. Like this was this was the same kind of level of chances that United were creating in that you know four assist Pogba game at the start of the year. That's the level of of opportunity they had that they haven't seen since August. Absolutely. If anything, it just goes to the the uh, the lack of confidence that this team is having to put the ball in the net. Um, but I'm going to turn it over to uh, Acha. Why don't you kind of jump in here? Uh. Is there is there a fair amount of criticism? Obviously, there's a lot going on, Ralph Ronek here, for this game. Is the criticism fair on him? I mean, obviously, we could talk about for this for his job as manager different, but for this specific game, is the criticism that he's facing fair? No, I don't think so. Um, first of all, I don't I don't think that uh, I I don't know if we're discussing it in that matter. I'm just going by the tone in which they were brought up. But I think the miss I don't think the missed chances from Bruno and Ronaldo are excusable. Um, and I, I similarly, I, I know, I know Jeff wants to get into this, so I don't, I don't want to touch on it too much, but I think, you know, if you're going to Manchester United fans who are blaming, you know, the failures of VAR and the refereeing in this match for the loss, I think is bullshit. Um, we have no excuse only scoring one goal, uh, against Middlesbrough, a team that's not even challenging for the championship. They're like mid tier in the championship. I think this year, nothing to play for. We have no excuse only scoring one goal against them. We should have been five or six, one up, uh, by the end of the match. And I think there's no excuses for that. And I don't, you know, I don't. I think the criticism against Bruno, you, you can say that it's partially on him, uh, that we weren't finishing our chances. But uh, ultimately, it's down to the players, and the players not taking chances where they were literally gifted to them. Ronaldo misses a penalty, that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, Bruno missing an absolute gift from the borough keeper, where he had pretty much the entire goal to aim for. Uh, that's. I mean, I think this is just what an exa- like an example of more just individual mistakes costing a team, and rather than the entire team performance. And I think. That you know, I think that the the former isn't as big a deal as the latter. Um, you know, 
we could eat the point is we could easily be talking about we could easily be having a very different conversation if Bruno finishes an open net if Ronaldo scores a pen and then obviously and I'll let Jeff get into this as well um, and it's quite shocking how VAR missed this but if VAR realizes that the ball hits an attacking player's hand yeah so so let's get into this because there's Jeff I do want to hop in one second I want you to answer I do want you to answer one other thing though with Ronaldo's miss I mean Bruno Fernandez's nickname as more of an insult to him was you know, Penandes. is should should it be relooked at as Ronaldo being their guy taking penalties? I mean, Bruno no. felt like he was automatic from the spot, like Jorginho esque. All of a sudden, Ronaldo comes in. Bruno's not taking many penalties anymore. The penalties he wore, he was taking weren't as good. Is it time to relook that? Because I mean, he was automatic from the spot. Like you didn't have to think twice about him scoring if there was a penalty. Ronaldo's a much better penalty taker. It's pretty simple. Uh, Ronaldo scored 143 penalties in his career and missed 29, which is a conversion rate that's above just about anyone. And I don't remember uh, exactly what the number was, but something like like 22 or 23 of Ronaldo's uh, total missed penalties are saves. So I I believe in his career of taking over 150 penalties, he's missed the net four or five times. This is one of those things that you you throw it out. Bruno's an incredible penalty taker, but let's not like, act like Ronaldo isn't also an incredible penalty taker. Absolutely. Both, the point is they're both excellent penalty takers. It doesn't matter which one of them you have taking it. They got to put it in, especially in a situation like that. There, I mean, there's no excuses. There's no excuse. There's no excuse of, oh, Bruno should have taken it. There's no excuse of VAR. There's no excuses. This was on Manchester United and, I, in my opinion, primarily on the players. Yep. And then, Jeff, when you kind of hop into the VAR thing, but or the lack of VAR, not only the handball, but also, you know, if, if we are talking about playing professional soccer, if VAR, you know, is available at at the stadium, they have the resources for it, why is it being used in every professional game? So, the, currently, the way VAR is set up in England, the only clubs that are really using it in the FA Cup are when when it's home games for Premier League teams, because they have gone through the rigors of passing IFAB, um, like checks to make sure that they have all the proper pieces in place to run VAR successfully. So in that sense, it's a little bit up to either the FA deciding they want to fund the the budget of, of getting VAR and all the proper camera angles and, and studio and, and network requirements needed all the way down to league two. If that's what the FA wants to invest in, go for it. Otherwise, as long as you keep allowing these games as you should to be decided where they're played by a coin flip, you, you're not going to get VAR in every stadium. You're just not. Um, and and on to the specifics of this, this game where it was available. What? I, I know. On to the specifics yeah. of this game where it was available. The reason VAR did not intervene in this case has to do with their guidelines being a clear and obvious error. And in this case, they thought that the referee of the match deciding that, it, that the handball was... Um, not making the player's body bigger, that's a re- decision by the referee that they didn't decide was a clear and obvious error. And the reason I, I mentioned making your body bigger is there's three ways that you can be considered to handle the ball according to uh, the international football, whoever, IFAB. Uh, I'm not going to remember the second half of their abbreviation. I don't care. Um, there are three ways to commit a handball offense. Deliberately touching the ball with your hand or arm, anything below the sleeve. Right. For example, moving your hand or arm towards the ball. 
that's it. That's a given. Intentionally handling the ball, we know how to deal with that one. Problem solved. Touching the ball with their arm or hand when it has made their body unnaturally bigger. Now, specifically, a player is considered to have made their body unnaturally bigger when the position of their hand or arm is not a consequence of or justifiable by the player's body movement for that specific situation. Having their hand or arm in such a position, the player takes the risk of the ball hitting their hand or arm and being penalized. In this case, absolutely, the player was making his body bigger, unnaturally bigger, and extending his arm out in such a way that the ball was controlled off his arm incredibly easily, and he was able to make the last touch uh, before the or the second to last touch, the kind of somewhat of a cross uh, cross net pass, really, um, uh, that allows the other player to score a goal. So absolutely, the player made their arm bigger, but that is where VAR came in and decided we're not looking at that. Uh, it the third way you can create a handball situation is if you score into the opponent's goal either directly off your hand or arm, even if it's accidental, even by the goalkeeper, it doesn't matter, or immediately after the ball has touched their hand or arm, even if accidental. In this case, VAR also decided that the goal scoring was not immediately after touching the uh, hand or arm with the ball. So they decided that by by making a pass, it wasn't immediate, so they're not going to call it back. This is This is one of those things where, regardless of clear and obvious, I would love the referee to have an opportunity to go take a quick look at the monitor and go... Okay, it wasn't immediate. The the new way the rules interpreted is that if you make a pass off, you know, if you touch it with your hand and then you make a pass and then they score, it's not immediate. Problem solved. And then the referee can go through the next criteria and go, has he made himself unnaturally bigger in this situation? Yes. So it's a handball. In this case, the referee got one look at it, which I understand that, you know, you may not have been able to see where his arm was because as a referee in that particular arm position, you're directly behind the player. You have a bad angle. But let them take a second look. Let the referee get a chance to go back and get that right. And and for VAR to, to not give them that opportunity is its own problem. And for people who think that the handball for a goal-scoring rule needs to get changed slightly, that's a different discussion. Yeah, I mean, I think... I just think the fact that it even needs, like, this much of an explanation just shows where we've come with refereeing in, in English football, right? Like, that is as clear and obvious an error as we're going to see. Period. How VAR doesn't intervene is, is ridiculous. Like, there shouldn't even be, like, a need to even explain. I'm not criticizing you for doing it, but the fact that there's even a need to explain the rules and go into this much depth is absurd. Just fix it. It's very simple. A handball is... It's not always, you know... It's, I'm, I'm not going to say that if it hits your hand, it's necessarily a handball. But in this instance, it clearly is. His arm's in an unnatural position. He's making his body bigger. It obviously affects him. It allows him to control the ball and square it. It's that simple. I mean, how in the age of VAR that is that goal is allowed to stand is just a yeah. terrible, terrible it's, reflection on the standards of refereeing in English football. Awful. And it it's one of those things where they've been. This is a change to the to the rule because previously a handball in any part of the buildup of a goal is a problem. But we need there needs to be one drunk fifty something year old like English pub fan who hangs out at the prem office. And and watches all the games and just points out that's a handball, that's not a handball. Like there needs to be an idiot who's just the common sense. Like, is it a handball? Is it not a handball? NFL is the same problem with the catch. We know one. Like everyone universally agrees when we see a call get made wrong, even if it's by the letter of the rule. And in this case, we have one of those problems where the rule is just not right. Like in this case, 
I, I think potentially in addition to the rule is any time a handling of the ball actively contributes to a goal. So in this case, if the hand isn't there, the ball's out for a goal kick. Yeah. Right. If if a player is like dribbling and they control the ball and it brushes off their hand and the flight of the ball changes like this much and they they make a cross and a goal, that's a different conversation. But in this case, the the handling of the ball was necessary for the goal to be scored, and, and that that would be a pretty easy way to word that rule. Is any handball that was necessary for for a goal being scored should remove that goal. Right. If, if if using your hand was necessary, even if it was accidental, you don't get a goal for it. Yeah, I want I want to kind of change because we are starting to run on, on time and we do want to cover other su- subjects. Last thing about FA Cup, if we just go around most impressive player of the weekend, I'll start it off. I said his name before the Jed Spence. Unbelievable at the right wing back position for Norham Farce scored a goal. He was brilliant against Arsenal as well. Um Really making a name for himself in this tournament. Awesome young kid. Uh, Alex, you want to hop in here? Yeah. I am... I'll, I'll go with Spence as well. Um, you know, playing in a championship side, never easy. And yeah, this guy absolutely dominated. Um, so when you consider, you know, the, the gap in quality uh, between the players he's surrounded with and the players... Um, on, on the opposing team, uh, yeah. I, really, I just have to tip my hat. I have to tip my hat to him. Yeah, absolutely. Akshay? Spence as well. Not really anything to add. I think we've covered it. He was, he was far and away the best player of the weekend. And, you know, it might have been easier if we started with who, who wouldn't pick Spence. I mean, yeah. I, I'll, I'll not pick Spence just because I, I think James Garner is absolutely phenomenal. And, and the, the take nothing away from Spence, who was definitely the consensus pick. But Garner deserves the, a similar shout for just an incredible – and let's not forget, um, both of these guys uh, – Born after uh, the year 2000, or I guess uh, in Spence's case, in the year 2000. But they are young, and they are both incredibly talented with futures that I think we both, uh, we all look forward to seeing. Spence for whoever he ends up playing for longer term. I don't know if he's a if he's a loney, um, but Might even Garner. At this point, given that Nottingham Forest are not going to be promoted, it looks like. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't I don't think he'll be on Nottingham Forest next and, year. And Garner is unlikely to go back on loan, which means that whoever comes in next at Old Trafford um, will have their hands full keeping him out of the team. Yeah. Um, why don't we switch over to a league that we don't talk about enough, which is La Liga. And why don't, you know, game of the weekend, Atletico Madrid versus Barcelona. Let's start off with Barcelona because I think they've had a very uh, hectic, to say the least. Very like, rocky year. Yeah, I mean, rocky year. How about probably rocky 18 months or so? But when Xavi took over, I believe, three months ago today, um, Barcelona was in ninth. They are now in fourth. It's important to note that between the fourth spot and the eighth spot, it's only a four-point difference um, held by Athletic Club right now, Sociedad in seventh, Villarreal in sixth, and Atletico Madrid in fifth. Uh, A lot of memes were happening when Xavi first started. Same old Barcelona, same old... Had a insane transfer window. I don't mean insane in the best way possible, but I just mean a you know a crazy transfer window in terms of the, who they brought in. And you know, it, it, is it starting to look like he's the right guy for the job? And, and Jeff, why don't you start us off with this one? No, because I'm still spiteful about him not wanting to play Dest, and I refuse to see past that. 
Um, anyone who looks at a, at a young kid that talented and says, I don't want him is the wrong guy for the job. Uh, and, and I will hear nothing more on it and I will be stubborn about it. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate then for them. But Dustin's very good going forward. If they're going to play a four, three, three, where they clearly don't have the strongest defense and they do try to load up on offense in Torres, Triare, bringing in bombing. I don't know how much he's going to be in terms of the starting lineup, but you have Triare. So you have Triare, you have Torres, um, you know, Petri and Gavi both score goals. So, do we re- still do we really need? Do they really need a guy that's more of playing a wing back position? You know, better going forward than is on defense. Like, is that does that does that really fit the team? I mean, no. But also, you don't complain about it. If if you've got Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane, do you really need a creative outlet on, on the at right fullback? I mean, I mean, Trent seems surplus to requirement at Liverpool by the very same logic. When you have talented players, you have talented players. Uh, you don't get, you don't play your less talented and yes, promise less promising young players because you're a spiteful manager. Yeah, yeah, but the difference is that Liverpool have Liverpool have options defensively. So when Trent or Robertson goes goes forward, Fabinho does an excellent job in slotting back, and you also have Virgil Van Dijk and Matip, who are two world class center backs. Um, yes, I will say Matip's world class. I mean, we can have that debate, but obviously not right now. Um, so you know that that gives Trent Alexander Arnold the leeway and Robson the leeway to to go forward. Barcelona don't have that. Busquets is good, but in terms of dropping back and covering, hasn't really been that type of player. PK's washed. I don't even know who the other center back is. Um, this next this sounds like the kind of problem you want to address by dealing with with PK or Busquets or, or who, whoever, like th- this is one of those times where you look at, look around and go, uh, yeah, the young kid with just well, you're not gallons wrong. and gallons of talent. Isn't the, isn't the one you should be getting rid of in this case. No, no I don't, I don't think you're wrong about that, but at, at the same time, no, I mean, I, he doesn't have to be starting right now. If, if the best way to win is to have more defensive stability um, in that position, but the idea that they want to move on from him and sell him when they should really be focusing on how to, how to add to this team. Uh, the the only logic you could possibly have for selling him is you think that um, on name value, on nationality, and on on age, you can get a deal for him that that's good enough that allows you to fund uh, signing high quality defensive players. And I have no doubt that they're going to use his sales to try and fund Holland, which will be just hilarious because they'll still have even more defensive problems. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't think Barcelona are not going to be able to afford Holland. There's just there's zero I shot. Let's keep in mind, Barcelona already has a completely oversaturated offense. So putting Holland into that mix when you already have like 15 wingers and five strikers in the roster is not going to do wonders for squad morale. Uh, Doesn't I mean they will try. Down to is Xavi has to do the best with the players that he's been given uh, from Barcelona's absolutely shitty transfer windows as of late. Uh, and what he has is, a, as I mentioned before, a completely oversaturated offensive roster and a very depleted defensive roster. So I would agree with you, Alex, that he's just doing the best on defense with what he can, which is given that Barcelona doesn't have a lot of defensive po- uh, defensive power to begin with. Uh, he's just going with the players that have the most reliable defensive reputations. And Serginio Des, unfortunately, at this current moment, is not one of those players. So I would agree with him not starting uh, for what Barcelona currently needs to do for success. And it's working, clearly. Actually, I want you to stay with me for a second. I mean, they they definitely outplayed um, Atletico Madrid. But if I told you three months ago that Barca would be ahead of Atletico Madrid, you probably would tell me that I'm out of my mind. So, 
And uh, we, we looked at Athletico's roster. We got Suarez, Jao Felix, Thomas Lamar, Koke, uh, Yannick Carrasco, Jimenez, Savic, Oblak. I mean, this is a very talented roster. Jesse, did you disappear underwater? For what, Oblak? The fact that he's terrible right now? No, no, no just your voice, my guy. So it sounds like you went scuba diving and, and started broadcasting from under the seas. Dude, I'm sick. I'm so sick. So, you know, knock on wood, it's not COVID. But, uh, yeah, no, 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 this sucks. So apologies if this uh, recording doesn't come out the best. But let's let's go back to the topic at hand. Uh, Diego, send me out. Is it start time to point your fingers potentially at him in terms yes. of questioning his job security? Yeah. I mean, unless Akshay, did you want to? Did you want? Did you want to take? The yeah, call? I mean, I did. I did direct the question to Akshay. Okay, yeah, the Akshay, you. Oh, you I, mean, I, I don't. I don't know if I know. I haven't. I, I don't. I think I need to have a little more of the eye test of Atletico and the way they play. I haven't followed La Liga too closely, so I won't make a, a sound judgment on that. Um, but what I will say is Diego Simeone is a really, really good manager, and I think for for him to start be considered to you know possibly be moving on from him. Atletico would have to be in a really, really bad position. And I don't, I personally, from what I've seen, uh, I don't think it's, it's time for those level of alarm bells yet uh, because he's still like just the amount he brings to the table and especially what he can get out of players uh, and the amount of respect uh, and, um, and rapport that he can develop with players, uh, I think cannot be understated. And so I think for, for Atletico to consider moving on from a manager that good, uh, and that solid in all areas, uh, they'd have to really be in a bad position. And I don't feel like they're in that position yet. I, I actually disagree with I that. I'm not They've progressed over the past five years. If they want to keep moving... I mean, yeah, yeah, they won La Liga, but they won La Liga in a very weak... When Barcelona and Madrid were having very, very weak years. And I think the performance in the Champions League against Chelsea as well were was very disappointing. Um, you know, they really should have taken Chelsea, I, I thought. Just given where they stood in the league, given where Chelsea stood in the league, yes, Chelsea did go on to win it. Fine. But I think that look the club, yeah, the the the. I I want my club to regress into winning a league. My goodness. Sorry, what was that, Jeff? Pray, pray. I I I want my club to 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 regress as a team into winning the league. Can we? Uh, how do we make that happen? The only, but, uh, but in terms of how good Atletico were, they've they've still they're still worse. Uh, they're definitely worse than they were uh, in let's just say twenty. I don't know, thirteen or twenty fourteen or twenty. Well, they won in twenty fourteen. Okay, but uh, no one ex- no one expected wanted, them to be okay, one of the top three teams. They were, they're worse than they were in twenty fifteen. They're worse than they were in twenty sixteen and in twenty seventeen. And in each of those years, they were going into the deep stages of the Champions League. Right? They won La Liga because the other teams also got worse. But Atletico so, had so, regressed. There's no question about it. Champions League isn't the only thing that matters, my guy. Like they, yes, they were on top of Europe for a couple of years, but like this is not Real Madrid. This is not Barcelona. The expectation should not be Real Madrid or Barcelona. And winning your league every so often and competing in the Champions League, sometimes luck doesn't break your way. Uh, for example, it's not like Pep has had stellar Champions League success. Like that's not how you judge a manager, uh, truly. Well, and, and I am gonna judge Pep for not having stellar. I mean, for not having stellar Champions League success. Like that's. I think that's. A very fair criticism of him, given the amount of money that Man City has spent. Yeah, sure. Oh, Did you want to fire Pep too? No, well, you don't know because they're winning the league every single year, so you're obviously not going to fire him. But Alex, let, let's hold on for one second because I do want to get back to the other question that I brought up: is is Xavi proving so far to be the right guy for the job of Barcelona? No, um, because it's it's just way too early to make that assessment. Um, and I, I think it's too early to criticize him or, or to praise him. I, I guess, you know, may, maybe 
it might be a bit more appropriate to praise him just given the fact that he has in Barcelona from ninth into fourth and just given the state of the club. Um, but it, it's going to take a lot more time for us to really determine uh, whether Xavi is capable of leading this club to where they need to be, which is regularly challenging, regularly winning La Liga, and regularly competing in the, in the latter stages of the Champions League. Um, but having said that, at Barcelona are definitely going in the right direction. Um, this is a superb performance against a big La Liga, t- or La Liga top four rival. Um, the you know the new signings you know we, we've questioned and moved in the transfer window, but Adama Traore getting an assist, Danny Alves who they signed just before, but still a very recent signing. Oh, uh, spectacular assist, great finish before he got sent off, but overall very good performance from him. So I I think Barcelona, if if I had to predict right now, I think they get third. Um, first of all, they Betis are two points ahead of them. But they have played a game more. So Barcelona win their game in hand. Uh, they will be in command of that third place spot. Um, so you know, right now, again, too early. But things things are looking up for Barcelona. And I think we'll get a much better sense of that. Um, or at least you know, we'll get a much better sense of where Xavi stands and his qualifications after the summer transfer window. And that a lot a lot of that's probably out of his control given the financial state of the club, but depending on who they bring in and where they're performing uh in November and December of next season, then then, then I think we'll know uh whether you know Barcelona should be trusting Xavi to to restore them to their many consider the rightful place in European and domestic football. I think that makes sense. Uh, I kinda wanna keep keep with that Champions League um topic. Jeff Barcelona, are they, you know, they got knocked out in group stages. Are they going to be competing in Champions League next year? Uh, they won't be winning the Europa League, so that's not one of their ways they can get in. Nope. Um, I'll, I'll start right there, because uh, that is one of the ways they could have made Champions League, uh, and, and they won't do that, um, because that's, trying to predict them to do that when you look at the rest of that competition is, is foolish. Um even if they have like the best odds in that group, it's going to be at like you know, eighteen twenty percent, which is just it, it takes a lot to win a knockout stage. Um, and, and in terms of finishing top four, yeah, probably, but I mean, like that's still not good enough for Barcelona. You you can't pretend like it is like top four a top four finish just isn't good enough. If if Liverpool or Man City right now were were picking up a top four finish, we'd be looking around and saying that's not good enough. Um, and and I I know that there's a rebuild that needs to happen there, but honestly, um, it, it's tough to point to uh to to former player successes, and all it does really is buy you a little bit of uh love and and support from the fans, and it, it really like it's it's very rare that it's going to be a long term solution. So we'll see we'll see. Maybe this is one of the rare cases that it is, but oftentimes it's not, and. We're we're gonna have to wait and see. Yeah, right. I, I, I do think before. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jesse. No, no. Go. You're saying. I was, I was gonna say before we wrap up. Um, I think you know, there's a team in, I, that is very comparable to Barcelona uh, over in Italy, uh, Juventus, um, who also made uh, some big signings in the in the transfer window. Who are also really pushing for that top four spot, um, which is definitely declined from where they were a few years ago. They were winning Serie A very comfortably year after year, but. Um, I, 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 just, I do think we should mention this. Very, very pleased with, with what I saw. Um, Juventus Vlahovic, 13 minutes into his debut. Well-taken goal. 
Zakaria, I mean, even before he scored, absolutely running the midfield, his passing, his dribbling, getting the best out of Murata. Even Rabio looked better with him in the side, and then Zakaria, great goal as well. So Juventus, like Barcelona, I think, looking on the up, and I think they have what it takes to, to get into that top four spot in Italy, which isn't enough for them, um, but it's a step forward. Yep, so I would say my, you know, my, my last question is... Uh kind of before, I want to go into AFCON to kind of end this, but Jeff already hit on Barcelona. Jeff, Atletico making Champions League next year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I have a lot of making Champions League, yeah. I think Juventus drop out. What about about Juventus? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Akshay? I don't think it's guaranteed. What, Barca? Yes or no? All right, you've, all right, sorry, you're asking me Barcelona first? Okay, all three. Barca, Athletic, going. Uh, Barcelona, I think it's, it's similar to what Alex said about uh, the verdict on Xavi. I think it's a little too early to decide. Um, I don't think they've shown the consistency yet. Um, but I will say this is a big statement win for them against Atletico. This is probably Xavi's toughest domestic test uh, since he took over as manager. Uh, and I would say he passed it more or less with flying colors, including getting uh, probably the best performance of the season out of Adama Traore. Um, which is no easy feat for a player who's been such a flop so far. Um, I think, real question. You think Xavi found like a brand new brand of, of baby oil that helped lube him up extra? <laughs> Maybe it's his like is, that, is that how he gets unlocked? He's got that good oil. Spanish baby oil now? I don't know. No, maybe. That's what he needed, the baby oil. I don't know. Uh, so, actually, in all seriousness, Barcelona, I think it's, it, it, for me, it's too early to decide. I'd say they're, they're on the uptrend, but um, I'd still favor Atletico making Champions League over them. Um, so that's right. my answer. Those two, I guess. Uh, Juve, I think. I don't think it's guaranteed. Um, I think Juventus. Juventus, first of all, had a lot, a lot more trouble scoring goals, uh, which is really worrying when you look at the offensive lineup that they have. They should have no trouble finding the back of the net, and they have. Good, good thing they just the signed a world-class center forward. Exactly. Good yeah. Vlahovic is now on the team. Yeah, Vlahovic. I mean, we, but you have to wait to see how much of a, how big of a difference he makes. You know, you already have guys like Chiesa, like Morata. Those guys should be bagging tons of goals, and they're not. Chiesa's uh, so out for the year. Without, that's probably making a big impact. All right, then, then yeah, I would say that's a huge blow to Juventus, and that that definitely lowers my expectations that they would make the Champions League because Chiesa really does make that much of an impact. It's if he's it's hard to term, find the team then, that, that's going to jump them though. Actually, like if you're looking at the table, like. Uh, it, it's it's really hard to pick the team that's gonna ha- get ahead of them. If there was a team, it'd have to be Atalanta, I think. But I like, I, I would be very surprised. Like I'm yeah. not counting them out. They, if they've got a Juve, but I I think it would be genuinely a massive disappointment for Juve to let it slip to Atalanta. And not only that, um, what's, it was, but I don't I don't think that means it won't happen. Yeah, I mean, before we before we get to Afcon, I will say that Atalanta's uh, next Serie A match is against Juventus. They're at home on February thirteenth, um, so that's definitely a big one to to look out for with massive implications that top four race. But Jesse, I know you want to get to Afcon. Well, yeah, no, yeah, no, but we're, let, let's finish. Let's finish it up. Alex Barca making it, yes or no? Barcelona make it, Atletico make it, Juventus make it. I on to Real Betis out. I'm, I'm on the same page on all three. Real Betis have a game in hand. They're four points up on Atletico. I think Atletico will find form. I actually think Juve are probably the biggest lock to make it of any of those clubs. Um, so I think Barca or Atletico could easily flip-flop and potentially not make it. And I think Juve getting 
uh, Lavich is going to completely change up their team. But let's talk about right. Afcon. Uh, Jeff, yeah, Jeff, Jeff had some serious commentary pre-recording of this show, so without further ado, I won't even ask a question. Jeff, best, ref- a- best refereeing moment, I think, of the past. I, I can't think of a better moment for a referee in, in the past couple of years than l- taking the whistle off your wrist and taking the, the yellow card out of your pocket and not showing it to a player, but handing it to them and asking them if they want to officiate. That's how much Mo got on the referee's nerves. Yeah, you, uh, you, did know, also- you know why he asked that? I'll tell you why he asked that, because he knows the referees in England are such shit. So what he's saying is he's basically telling Mohamed Salah that he would make a better referee than the referees we already have in England. Um, what do they? Right, wait, hold on. What do the referees in England have to do with Mo being so obnoxious to the official that the official, like, like Mo's very clearly wanting to make every single call in that game in, in Afghan, and so, so why not let him take the jersey off, put the yellow on, and 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 call the game? Look, maybe he could have conducted himself better, but he's the captain of his national team. In a, in so a, show you know, some, so show some class about it. Long. You can, I mean, you can be a captain in a way better way. I think he's been a captain in a way better way. He's led the side to, you know, nearly... He led the side to World Cup qualification a few years ago. He led the side to the the final of the African Cup of Nations, where I don't... I'm not sure the last time they've made it this far. Um, so, yeah, I think he's been a captain. I just think, you know, at the occasion, as can happen to really anyone, uh, just... I don't want to say got the better of him, but it, it definitely got to him. I mean, dude, like, Zidane headbutted someone in a World Cup final when he was 36 years old. This yeah, we're not giving him an excuse for that either. Tensions will be high, and that's the way Salah was acting. Um, it's unfortunate that, he lo- that he's lost, um, but praise to Senegal. Um, very happy for Sadio Mane as well as Liverpool fan. Yeah, c- congrats for Mane scoring the, the shootout winning penalty, penalty. Uh, which gets to make up for absolutely missing the biggest clear-cut opportunity in the 120 minutes of the match, which was, what, a 12th minute? Missed, sorry, a 7th minute missed penalty um, that is just... I mean, thank God for Ronaldo being the only bigger player this weekend to miss a penalty. Yeah, I want to, you know, in terms of Senegal and Egypt uh, playing against each other, obviously, I don't think Egypt were the favorites to get to the finals. But people tell you know Senegal, oh, this is amazing. I thought that they actually had a very good quality team on paper. I mean, they have a lot of they have a lot of talent, and like like people that aren't that weren't following Afcon, you know, would kind of forget about some of the names on this team. I mean, Koulibaly was one of the top, I would say, three center backs probably two two or three years ago playing for Napoli. Uh, a little bit past his prime now at age thirty, but this guy is is still class. First of all, he's a brick house. Um, like impossible to get back past him uh goalie of the year Edouard Mendy in goal you have Mane you have Adrisa Ganagay in midfield plays for PSG you have another one in Diallo Abdul Diallo also on PSG I mean this this Senegal team has a lot of people on paper besides I mentioned, Mane. um Saar the right back on Bayern Munich what? um yeah Mendy, who, you know, on Leicester, who obviously have struggled, but Leicester still, you know, top te- top half Premier League team. Yeah, it's um, just like, they've got a squad, dude. They've got a squad, Senegal. Money, this, money, that. It's like, they actually had a good team, and I think, you know, Koulibaly is... If it was three years ago, they'd be talking about Koulibaly and Mane in the same sentence. Um, they should be... I mean, Mendy is a top three goalie in the world, probably, right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh... Is Mane the best left winger in the world? I don't know. Um, okay. nah, 
I'm a Liverpool fan. It's not the best left winger in the world. Is he the best left winger in the world? Bane? No, he's not the best left winger. I mean, he's one of them, but... I mean, it depends who you count as a left winger. That's the thing. So him and Mendy That's like, I mean, I th this besides for Salah, the only other person I even know, like on the team, is uh, Mohamed Goat El Neni, uh, who is Mister Sideways and Backwards playing for Arsenal. So um, sure, there was no forward progression from him. Egypt's Bentancur. Yeah, Arsenal's Bentancur. <laughs> Can we um, talk about uh, the most incredible part of this Afcon final? which is that um, this is the least important game that Egypt and Senegal will play against each other in the next That's, two months. I know. That's huge. Egypt and Senegal have been paired in a two-legged affair in, in late March during, the, during the, the window where the winner of that two-legged tie goes to the World Cup and the loser does not. It wow. was seeded. It was seeded based on FIFA World Rankings. There were ten teams in the in the third and final round of the CAF qualifiers, and they got seeded against each other. And Senegal got matched up with Egypt. So one of them, either Mo or Mane, will not be in a in a World Cup. In uh, but but on the other hand, at least one of them will get to go. Um, and it is. I think we should put this on the agenda for next week. But it is time to start to start narrowing the list of teams that will be qualifying for Qatar 2022. Absolutely. For um, quick predictions for that, I mean, based off this match, is Senegal? Do you, do you think Senegal have a much better squad over two legs? I, I have to give it to them. Yeah. yeah. I think if uh, if their coaches have any sense, then they're going to be reminding those players that they made a lot of noise at the 2018 World Cup. They may not have made the group stage. They are, they may not have made it past the group stage. Rather, they should have but and deserved to, but unfortunately lost out to Japan on that uh, disciplinary technicality. Um, but this is a team that it's in its prime right now. It has a squad that we've talked about. It's loaded with world-class talent, uh, and their window is now. Their window to make noise on an international stage is now. And I think, you know, their coaching staff should be aware of that. The players should be aware of that. This is a tie they need to win because they're a much more talented squad than Egypt. Uh, and they have a chance to really go far in the 2022 World Cup, I think. Yeah. Do not, do not put a surprise run past them. So mm -hmm. I think before we end, we are all still in the competition for our survival. Uh, so... Jeff. What do we think about rules for for this week? Uh, do we want to say any match that's played? Because there's a ton of opportunities. Um, tomorrow, we have Newcastle versus Everton, West Ham, Watford, Burnley, Man United. Wednesday, we have uh, four more matches. We have Man City, Brentford, Norwich, Crystal Palace, Tottenham, Southampton, and Villa, Leeds. And then Thursday, it's Liverpool, Leicester, and Wolves, Arsenal. Or do we want to also include the weekend? No, up until Thursday. All right, so so you get match week twenty four as your as your op options. Yes, so no Arsenal for Akshay, Alex, and myself as they tied versus Burnley. Jeff, I'm, I don't even know who City played. I'm sure they destroyed them. It was Southampton, and it was a it was a it's one one draw. Actually. If we don't forget, tied. You're right, they tied. Yeah. I, I'm alive though. I I used my Man City, and it didn't kill me, and that's what matters. Okay, so why don't we take? Are any of you guys ready to start us off? Yeah, I'll go. Uh, I'm gonna get Tottenham out of the way. I don't think Tottenham lose at home to Southampton. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is tough. Um, I will go. Uh, Crystal Palace will not lose against Norwich. Wow. These are some bold. You got you guys have just back to back bet against a James Ward Prowse worldie and a Josh Sargent hat trick, and I wouldn't bet against either of those things. I I think those are both actually locks for this week. 
Jeff? Um, I feel uh, I feel it necessary to to bag on a team that's down um, and, and really hope and pray that the, the herd thins and you guys start losing. Um, so I'm going to take uh, the other super title contender, um, kind of work my way slowly down the standings. Uh, Liverpool won't lose to Leicester. Leicester look terrible right now. This like I feel like if if Liverpool win by less than three, it if it, it will feel like a loss for them. So th- that feels like a gimme. Okay, well, as much shit as I talked about, you know, West Ham and them being out of form, they are also playing Watford, and we they are at home. So let's hope that Declan Rice and Suchek just boss the midfield and. Uh, Watford do what they normally do. And lose. Might have that new manager bounce at Watford. They just sacked Ranieri. I could not care less. <laughs> and it's always something to consider. Um, I can, listen, I uh, I've never gotten in a bunch of games I didn't previously have a rooting interest in, which is fantastic. Um, like, I won't root for Liverpool because I refuse to. Um, but I ha- have an active root, rooting interest now in Watford and Norwich and Southampton. And that's a fantastic way to enter this midweek. Awesome. Well, anyway, do you guys want to close this out? All right. So, go for it. Oh, I'll I'll close this out with a little anecdote that um I may have tweeted about. Let me let me introduce Jeff as the winner of last week's Celebrity Eleven Challenge, winning in super subs. Jeff, close this out. All right. Paul Pogba tricked me with an incredible bit of effort. Coming in with the buzz cut, looking like he was all business. And the moment he got taken down for the penalty, I saw the bright chrome, rainbow-colored underside of his cleats, and I knew he could not trick me. So remember, wherever you are out there listening, that just because someone pretends that they're all business, they're still they're still out for themselves and, and living their best individual life, and you have to be out for yourself as well. Yeah.